Welcome to the latest tax podcast from the tax recruitment company. We provide regular free tax podcasts and CPD tax webinars throughout the year to help and support leading tax professionals in the UK. Please visit our website at www.taxrecruitmentcompany.co.uk to get your free subscription. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by um, Pete Miller, um, who um, has kindly agreed to chat a bit about his career in tax and hopefully provide a few interesting insights and advice to people who are are in the midst of their career in tax and and looking to sort of develop and grow their their career. Um, Pete's um, one of the most well-known sort of corporate tax advisors in the UK, I think it's fair to say. Um, He's he's worked in tax for 31 years, 10 years as an inspector of taxes. Um, He's also had 11 years experience in the big four firms. Um, He's shortlisted for Taxation Awards Personality, Tax Personality of the Year, I it, believe. It's not called that. It's um, major contribution to the tax That's right. or something yes, like right. that. Yeah, yes. Which uh, uh, is, is a great accolade that's thoroughly deserved. Um, he now runs the Miller Partnership, um, who um, uh, provide tax advice on a number of, sort of specialist corporate tax areas. Um, I probably should ask Pete to go through this and me try and do it, but general corporate corporate tax issues, the taxation of intangible assets, intellectual property, transactions in securities and disguised enumeration would be some of the sort of specialist areas that you Absolutely. you advise yes. um, accountants on and things. Um, he also regularly writes and speaks um, in a number of sort of high profile tax um, publications um, and um, yeah, is, is, is seen very much as a sort of... Uh, very key guy in the world of corporate tax. So welcome, Pete. Um, Thank you very much. I'm not sure I recognise the person you just <laughs> described, but he sounds like quite a good bloke. <laughs> so, Pete, what, what first made you want to work in tax? What, what was the sort of catalyst to get you into um, tax? A desperation more than anything. I mean, I, I actually grew up wanting to do something entirely different, which I suspect is probably true of 99% of people who end up in tax. Yeah. Um, I have in my career met one young lady who said, that from the day she saw a letter on her dad's desk headed HM Inspector of Taxes, she wanted to be a tax inspector. But apart from that, <laughs> um, I, I actually wanted to be a successful scientist. Um, I read a book called The Double Helix when I was 10 and decided that was the way my life was going. Yeah. Uh, and until my mid-20s, everything seemed to be going moderately smoothly. But then I discovered that scientific research wasn't really my, my metier, as it yes. were. Um, uh, so the driver to join the Inland Revenue was that at about that time, which was the mid to late 1980s, in fact, I should actually say, today, as we record this on the 18th of April, is the 31st anniversary of the day I joined the Inland Revenue in oh, Birmingham. There we are. Oh. Um, but what was happening was the Inland Revenue was recruiting quite heavily, and, and the problem they had was that a lot of people were joining on this fast-track, fully-trained inspector course, Um, doing sort of half the course or sometimes the whole course and then being snapped up by what was then big six or even big eight firms. There was a lot of consolidation going on around that time. Um, So they were recruiting quite heavily at the other end. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm honest, I never did work out why they didn't put some kind of lock in place because lots of other 
countries do. You know, you yeah, train yeah. somebody and you have to stay for a number of years or repay the cost of your training or something. But anyhow, what uh, as, as somebody once said, so if they were recruiting 150 people or so a year, that's how you manage to squeeze under the under the gate, as it were, is it? And uh, <laughs> I said, yes, that's exactly what happened. Um, the the two places they seem to be advertising was the Times Educational Supplement and. Um, uh, New Scientist magazine, oh, right. uh, which of course as a scientist was something I, I read, so um, a lot of my colleagues, about half a dozen people I can think of immediately sort of from my time in science had, had looked at it or actually joined the revenue. And indeed my, my class when I first started training of 15 people were five ex-teachers, <laughs> five ex-scientists and five people from other backgrounds, which oh, was right. quite interesting. Yeah. And which which firm was it that you you joined from the revenue once you um, um, left the revenue? Okay, so I went from the revenue to KPMG, right? Yeah. Um, for four years or so, and learned an awful lot there about, um, if you like, the other side of the industry. You know, yes. the, the, the industry part where people can actually decide not to engage with you if they so choose. Um, yeah. And that was actually quite a, a you know quite a steep learning curve, as you might imagine. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm not obviously uh, entirely unaware of the need for sort of human relationships, even as a civil servant. But generally speaking, as a tax inspector, if you wrote, somebody had to answer. Yes. Um, So that was very interesting. And I had a lovely time there and and worked with some very interesting clients. And um, and, and then somebody else made me an offer of both, you know, a a higher position. Mm. um, And um, let's not be... um, shy about saying a substantially greater salary as well yes um so i ended up moving to ernst and young where i spent seven years right and when were you first at kpmg what type of work were you doing then um well because uh, so perhaps we, we ought to sort of wheel back to, to a little bit about how i came out of the revenue yes. because um what had actually happened after uh, a number of years of, of, of training and um and then working in a couple of tax districts in birmingham and london i went into head office so i had some policy wo- uh, roles um, and also some uh, technical roles. And as, at the time that I left, I'd spent nearly two years as what was, um, I think at the time it was called company tax division, um, and then my particular specialism was company distributions. Yeah. So my background was very much in corporate, and although distribution sounds quite narrow, for those people who know all about um, demergers, for example, one particular mechanism of demerger is a distribution um, in specie, and and that meant that I was involved with some very large M and A transactions at the time. Right. Um, so, I was recruited by KPMG as uh, the revenues expert in this area, uh, very much. Um, the other thing that I was also sort of considered an expert in, um, because it was part of the distributions role, was the uh, rules about advanced corporation tax. Uh, and if there is anyone old enough to remember those rules, um, I joined KPMG in November 97, and I believe it was in his 1998 budget that the Chancellor announced that advanced corporation tax would be abolished. Right. So in terms of timing, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to answer your question, therefore, I specialised at KPMG and, and have specialised subsequently very much uh, in the area of corporate transactions. Yes. Um, and so not just corporate tax, although I, I do an element of general corporate tax, but very much on the transactional side. Yes. And I, I think without wishing to embarrass you much too much, Pete, I, I think you are very much acknowledged as a, a leading expert within your field. Um I suppose what might be interesting for people to listen is how do you become an analytics expert and 
how do you think you've managed to get that um, area, you know, excellent knowledge and understanding of the areas that you work in and things? Yeah, it's that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, part of it probably it, it helped that I joined KPMG as a narrow technical expert from yeah. the inland revenue as it was. And if I'd just been, um, albeit perhaps a quite senior inspector in a tax district who dealt with a lot of companies, um, but wasn't a deep technical specialist, I either might not have been recruited or, or would not have been recruited into the role that I was given. So I think there was an element of, of, of good fortune that I had had a head office technical role uh, and that that's where I was when I decided the time had come to maybe move on and see what the private sector was all about. Um, once I was there, I was blessed with um, a number of bosses, particularly actually at EY, um, who realised that what I had was relevant to the firm as a whole and not just relevant to the Birmingham office where I was initially based or the Midlands region or whatever. Um, and certainly the head of tax in the Midlands region when I joined very quickly said, I'd quite like you to be a sort of national troubleshooter in, yes. in, in some of these areas. Um, and what that meant was that when, for example, in 2002, which seems like the blink of an eye ago and yet was quite a long time in tax terms, they introduced both the, the complete, completely new sets of rules, the substantial shareholding exemption on the one hand and the intangibles regime for companies on the other. Um, I was one of a dozen or so people around that firm around Ernst & Young at the time who were tasked with being or becoming if you like the firm's in-house experts yeah. on those new pieces of legislation um, which meant that we would deal with uh, as many as possible of the problems that came to us from around the firm and discuss with our uh, in amongst ourselves what the right answer ought to be and in some cases where it was appropriate to do so to to sort of confirm those things with uh, what was then still the inland revenue yeah. so there was an element of um, I started off as a specialist and once you are one it sort of um, takes you forward in that direction um, in terms of how somebody coming into tax could do that I mean with certain subjects and transactions in securities is perhaps one of them um, it's it was one of those things that actually nobody knew anything very much about. I mean, it is yeah. considered quite abstruse legislation, and that's after it was rewritten in a rather simpler form in 2010. Mm. So back in the early 2000s, as it were, um, it was considered quite hard. And I came up with a particular problem and was directed to, an uh, I think it was a KPMG partner, I think I was still with them at the time, uh, who was the firm's expert, uh, only when I told him that's how he had been described, he laughed hugely and said the only reason was that he had a big problem with a client several years earlier and kind of asked lots of people, so everyone assumed he must be the person who knows all about transactions in securities. Um, the upshot of that conversation was that I kind of grabbed that mantle yes, um, and and kind of read up the legislation and looked at the sorts of transactions that were being targeted and thought, well, this is an area which is probably under understood, as it were. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I ought to make sure somebody does understand it. Um, so I, I think it is slightly less complicated today than it used to be. Um, 
uh, and I hope my webinar on the subject at least demystifies some of it. Yes. Um, should say actually for anyone listening that, that Pete is uh, kindly presenting a webinar for us on that and um, we're hoping to record it. So if you do miss that and you'd like to, to, to get a copy of it, do get in touch with either myself or Pete and we can send that to you. Um, so in, in a way, there's a degree of good fortune, but if you look at what happened with things like transactions in security, there's also an element of saying this is something I think you know people ought to know about and if they don't i'll make sure i do yes and and so you go away and you do the hard work yeah. um, i i do fully understand however that if you are you know a relatively newly qualified person uh, and you're looking to try and specialize fairly narrowly there will be a pressure from your firm that you nevertheless have to be dealing with clients and, and dealing with their yeah. general range of queries and that might make it more difficult, but the answer is, uh, you know, if you're interested, persevere. Yeah. Um, write articles, give talks at conferences. People will start seeing you as that expert, and and once that happens, it starts to snowball. Yes. And any other advice you'd give someone who's sort of, I suppose, um, in the middle stages of their career, they might be qualified CTA and looking to sort of. Um, progress their career is any other sort of tips you can think that to, to make them stand out or um well i think it, it it does depend on what you want to do in tax so yeah. i mean we can't all become experts on on a few narrow subjects that we we deal with in great depth so i think you have to decide as 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 the person whose whose career it is what sort of a career you want and obviously the majority of people do have fantastic careers as um, client handling um, tax advisors yes and you know I still love the client um, handling side of things the, the, the talking to people about their business and what they do what they make or what they sell and and how whatever I'm helping them with will affect their personal circumstances their family finances and all of those good things um, and, and you know, to an extent, I, I, I think the important thing is decide what you want to do. And obviously it doesn't say you can't change your mind at some later stage. But generally speaking, decide what you want to do and work out what skills you need to make yourself good at that. Yeah. Um, I think at the, the, the sort of senior level of client handling, it's very often much more about the client handling than about the tax side of things. Because you will have working for you, depending on the size of firm, hopefully people who actually are the tax experts yes. um, in a smaller firm that might be you as well but in many ways that's as as satisfying because the people you're talking to are the business people sometimes in the larger firms you're just talking to somebody who's paid to try and deal with the companies yeah. or groups tax which is a bit different yes i think that's very useful hopefully for everyone listening um pete um tell us just quickly how how could the miller partnership potentially help people listening to this well i Set up the Miller Partnership uh, back in 2011 uh, on the basis that <clears throat> I realised that the sort of work I was doing in big four firms um, uh, up until a little while before that um, could be replicated at the owner-managed business yeah. level, at the SME level, but for the fact that perhaps the majority of the people who had the technical knowledge and experience to carry out these transactions were just not available to yeah. those people. And, you know, if you want to be 
hiring somebody from a big four firm charging out at perhaps a thousand pounds an hour that yeah you know it, it starts to become a very expensive proposition um and what i felt was well there's nothing to stop people doing the transactions except for the cost of buying the expertise in yes so why don't i come in and say well i, I am an affordable option um so i very much targeted um very much accountants to a slightly lesser extent um, corporate lawyers but particularly accountants to say here are things that can be done with a company yeah you know um, and it, it is interesting because at, at one end of the market there are accountants who are excellent accountants but genuinely don't know e e about some of the relatively straightforward things we can do to help somebody sell their company tax efficiently yeah. I mean, you know I have had accountants um, who don't understand entrepreneurs relief, so they just need some reassurance that their client will qualify for entrepreneurs relief. Yes, um, I've had clients, uh, sorry, accountants come along and say, well, they, they, somebody wants to sell a company to their children, um, and they don't want to just give it away because they need something out of it. But what's the best way to structure that? Yes, um, and, and things like that, which is very much the sort of stuff I do. Not everyone wants a demerger. Not everyone wants a scheme of reconstruction. But there's a lot of people who want to sell their business for the best post-tax return possible. Yes, without being aggressive, they just want to stick within the rules. But a lot of smaller accountancy firms don't have the tax expertise in house. Yeah, to to know how to do that. So if you're listening and, and you, you think you'd like to chat to Peter about seeing whether he could help you, I think if you Google the Miller Partnership Tax, your website will come up. I know because I just did that myself. Uh, uh, and hopefully on the um, podcast uh, details that you've, you've, you've just logged into, we'll have Pete's contact details on there as well. But Pete, that was really interesting and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this tax podcast from the Tax Recruitment Company. Why not contact us to find out about our free career coaching and CPD tax webinars? Our specialist recruitment team have over 60 years experience in tax and accountancy and would be delighted to discuss your future career options with you. We strive to help tax professionals find their perfect job in tax. Please contact us at www.taxrecruitmentcompany.co.uk.